episode 43. Are we on a roll or what? I'm loving it. Yeah, two straight. We're on a roll just like your Dallas Mavericks. So uh, my uh, my prediction is still live of uh, 5-0 sweep. Um, what do you want to do? Should we start with uh, some hot takes on game two? Yes, let's start with hot takes on game two. <laughs> All right, who's going first? Jay, you seem to uh, give the impression that you have a lot prepared. Uh, I really just wanted to uh, to commemorate episode number 43, uh, the Chris Humphreys podcast, uh, and I did have to look up. Was that his number? Former Mavericks with the number 43. And yes, that get, was his number. I was going to get Terry Davis. The Terry Davis, good choice. So would have, uh, Walt Williams would have been a good choice too, but uh, I think the younger viewers that are our fans would have appreciated the Chris Humphreys reference. Yeah, I forgot he was a Maverick. He was a Maverick? According to the interwebs, he was absolutely yeah, no, a Maverick. I remember him. I remember him on the Maverick. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought he was an underrated player, to be honest. Really athletic. Pretty, yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Back to the game. 2010, 5.2 points he averaged. Okay, note to self, we're not starting the pod with Jay's hot takes again. So, I think we should Matt. start the recording <laughs> now. We'll clean All this right. up <laughs> Okay. Welcome episode to episode 43. 43, the Chris Humphreys version. Okay, hot takes on game two, which was awesome. Uh, let's go ahead and start with Matt. Uh, some, some thoughts. <laughs> yeah, that may have been the Clippers' best punch. I mean, Kawhi was unstoppable. Paul George was very good, uh, and the Mavericks still won. And if they had made their free throws, they kind of would have won going away. So yeah. you have to wonder. You got to be scratching your head if you're the Clippers now. What else do they need to do to to beat these guys? I agree. And when you when you look at you know when you combine the regular season uh, games, we're now four and one against the Clippers the last five. And um, here's my first hot take. I'm coming out with it. Coming out strong. I feel like the Clippers are the Dallas Cowboys of the NBA. What do you think about that? Now, I'm a very avid loyal Cowboys fan, but they have been cursed with the sort of bravado of like we are the returning champs we'll figure this out they've always been cursed with that sort of sense even though they've won nothing and the clippers are are just like that um did you guys happen to hear uh any of the comments after the game like paul george or Ty Lue? yeah just the we're not panicked we're, we're fine <laughs> well Ty Lue specifically saying yeah, there's no concern on our part. The pressure's on them. <laughs> yeah, he even made some comment along the lines of, yeah, I mean, once you get in your home gym where you're used to making shots, I mean, that that, that puts pressure on you to make those he shots. Said, well, yeah, we've like got that. the easy job. We just go over there and play our game. Like, that was the most, you know, a lot of times you'll listen to Bill Bill Simmons do a, like an attempted reverse jinx on his podcast, and it's so blatant. 
that was up there with <laughs> he was trying so hard reverse psychology and solely solely for Paul George and Marcus Morris who completely choke <laughs> anytime well, they feel pressure and it shows you what Ty Lue was brought there to do. It wasn't we need a better strategy. It yeah. was please mentally coach these guys and just sort of gently guide them through the NBA playoffs and let's win a championship, but they're super fragile. I mean, that's ridiculous to come yeah. out and say, you know, I mean, look, growing up, you know, Larry Bird's out there calling those guys a bunch of sissies and, yeah. you know, then the next day they're knocking everybody on their ass and, and, you know, the Celtics are blowing somebody out. Like, why isn't somebody – and there is – I mean, fact is they just don't have this person. But even Ty Lue can't serve in this capacity to kind of call these guys out and, hey, what are we going to do? So I expect in game three they're going to come out – well, if they don't come out – and just knock somebody down in the first couple minutes and yeah. just really try to muck up the game a little bit, then they're done. Because I well, think the crowd is going to be so and they're just going to Is it possible, is it too late for them to add Andrew Bynum to their roster? <laughs> it is officially I'm, too late. Well, I'm, I'm, but, I mean, hey, I, I actually am worried about something like that, that they're going to overreact and – uh, you know, given that they have to throw their best punch, that it might be a literal punch, uh, you know, that we've seen I, I in Dallas. Think, I think right now, like, we've been talking about the Clippers being a more physical team for two games. They're just not a physical team. They're not a physical team. They're a weak roster, both physically and mentally. Like, I think, like, I think the series is done. And here comes my second hot take. This is my biggest hot take of the podcast, okay? The the news today was we bumped it up from 15,000 fans to 16-plus. Like, Cuban is going off on this. He's selling out that arena, and he's just going to ask for forgiveness later. And so this is this is my take. This is my take, okay? Now, you guys, listeners, do not know this, but I was in the Superdome for the first game after Katrina, okay, where Steve Gleason blocked the punt. It was an amazing moment. And you could just feel this gush of emotion coming out of the city, you know, for just that moment. And that is my prediction for this Friday. Tomorrow night, it is going to be like – the end of the pandemic for the Dallas-Fort Worth area with this game. It is going to go down in history. We have not had 16,000 people in one place at just to release all this emotion for the last year and just hate for the Clippers and Rondo all in one one moment. It is going to be an epic night. And here's what adds all to it. Luca is so wired to rise to the occasion. Like, everyone forgets LeBron was a choker for, like, the first five years of his career, all the way to 2011. And uh, after the Mavs embarrassed him, that's when he finally turned the corner a little bit. But, like, Luca is so, like, he has just not had the – this is, this is going to be the greatest – like by default, the greatest crowd and greatest like playoff game for him to date, and I, I think he'll, I think he'll match the energy of the building. I really do. 
So I'm going to jump in here and defend LeBron James a little bit because nah. what he did, what he did in 2007 to get that Cleveland Cavaliers team, uh, yeah. which I believe still had Danny Ferry on it, um, and uh, and Danielle Marshall, I think. <laughs> well, there's no way that you could look at what he what he did against Detroit, where he scored 20 something points in a row, single handedly got the Cavs to the finals. I know they got swept by the Spurs. That was an absolutely amazing performance. But well, the fair. fact that's is fair. that J.J. Barea in 2011 was the LeBron stopper, and LeBron refused to post up still is hilarious and is one of the many things that makes the 2011 championship uh, one of the best championships, if not the best championship ever. It's so great. I'm sitting here smiling thinking about 10 years ago. I agree. I agree. And I, I think this is, you know – this so mirrors the um, the Lakers series from ten years ago, and and you know oddly enough, it's another holiday weekend. I mean, it was the Mother's Day massacre where we swept them in Game Four, and um, you know we have games Friday and Sunday, and uh, I, I just outside of an injury or just you know sort of an epic Houston Rockets twenty six straight missed threes kind of performance, I. I don't see how we don't break. We we I don't see how we haven't already broken the Clippers. You know, I think by halftime, if we're up by ten by halftime, the series is over. They they well, just don't have it in them. The the fact is, we've shot fifty percent from three point range for the series. Yeah, and sure. uh, on on the one hand, I'd say I'm not sure that's sustainable, but on the other hand, these are wide open things. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I mean, I was I I was standing up and throwing my hands in the air a couple times uh, on Tuesday night because I knew the ball was going in because when you know when Tim Hardaway Jr. is wide open, I expect him to make it. Yeah. And and he's he is a great shooter. And um, it, I don't see that that if they continue to get wide open threes. You might have a couple guys have off nights, but what's that do? Bring the Mavs down to 39 or 40% for the night? That's and right. That's what, the, that's what the Clippers were on Tuesday. The Clippers shot 40% from three, which is about their season average, and the Mavs still lapped them. That's right. And I want to go back and expand upon something that, you know, I said a couple uh, on uh, on uh, the last pod that, you know, Ty Lue would, would have some adjustments. He had none. Except for, and, and I, I will say this, he had he had Kawhi on Luka more, but Luka was still able to generate switches. But even when, when Kawhi Leonard would fight over the screen, it looked like the rest of the team didn't know what they were going to do. That's right. And that they didn't know what defense they were in. Half the team looked like they were trying to play it one way, and the other half was, 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 was playing the other way. And, like, a good example of that was at the very beginning of the game, and Maxie had already hit a three. And uh, he go, he runs a high pick and roll with Luca, and Kawhi fought over the top of the screen. And the Clippers, I mentioned it the other night, that we might see games like we saw 10 years ago. Sure enough, Zubox goes into a drop coverage against Maxi, one of the best shooting big men yeah. in the game. And then he realized what he had done, and he took a step towards Maxi, and Maxi just dr- took one dribble, dribbled right by him, and dunked it. Yeah. And that I mean, was, it was their pick and roll defense. It changed the entire night. They never had any sort of uh, raw, uh, uh, consistency as to what they were going to do, and they just looked lost. And I agree. It looked I, completely I disconnected. 
yeah, I, I have no idea what they're going to do because it doesn't look like they're on the same page. And I think it's absolutely hilarious. And I love it. I love it too. I, I think, you know, you saw Rondo like yelling at people after the game. I mean, that's, that's classic Rondo. Cause you know, it's not his fault. He's got it all figured out, but you know, I could see Ty Lue giving in. We're going to see a lot more Rondo in game three. We're going to see, um, Probably a little more Terrence Mann, who, by yeah, the way, will. I thought that was Wessa Wundu for like half the game. <laughs> Don't they look shockingly alike? <laughs> Am I the only one here? <laughs> You're the only one here. <laughs> I don't think I could identify either guy in your defense. So. Oh, man, I thought it was Wessa Wundu. I had to actually Google or, you know, search uh, if he got cut by the Pelicans and picked up by the Clippers. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is going to turn into the West of one do revenge game. But uh didn't happen. It was Terrence Mann. Uh, and he's actually, he's 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 much more athletic. They they need him out there. So I definitely think more Mann, more Rondo. And, um, but again, going back to Jay's point, they're so disconnected as, as both in offense and defense. I don't think like the, the energy of the building and just the connectiveness of, of Dallas, both on offense and defense. I, I just don't think they could overcome that. And I, I don't see what the, I don't see a scenario where that plays out positively for them. Do you think Terrence Mann has ever given the team the inspirational speech from field of dreams uh, from Terrence Mann and uh, James Earl Jones? Wow. That's an interesting uh, comment. Uh, I'm going to go with no, because uh, I don't think I don't think anybody on that team listens to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. They're yeah. also they're also not watching baseball movies from thirty yeah. years ago. Yeah, in fact, if I, I think if they even brought in James Earl Jones, they wouldn't listen to him. I, I think it's a I think it's an, a really entitled team. I, I think they, um, you know, they embody a lot of negative millennial traits of just entitlement and uh they just don't like to be uh told what to do and act like they're already there and they don't want to grind you know and uh so there's my uh politically incorrect comment for the podcast but, well we're uh, all gen xers so well that's are right they, are they even millennials though uh i think uh paul george would be wouldn't he because he's like 30 I'm not, I think Matt's right. I don't think they're millennials. I think that they're whatever's after, whatever's after that. Well, that's even worse. Yeah, no, it probably I agree. is. I, I, yeah, I, I think it only kind of bolsters your point a little bit. Like, what? <laughs> I, I don't know. Whatever generation they are. Gen like, Z? Let's talk about Gen Z. Hey, and, hey, and let's be honest. None of us really care that much, and we're not going to yeah. look it up because it reeks of effort. <laughs> but, but let's – I mean, I, it seems like they've taken on – like, here's the thing, and I think I talked about this the other day, is, like, Kawhi Leonard's always had someone else on the yeah. team or the franchise to – the coach, that, yeah. You that can be the, the sort of – like, that can invoke the culture of it all. And he can just go out and be a robot and be one of yeah. the best players in the world, and it's fine. But in this case, it's like Ty Lue's not doing that. Paul mm-hmm. George definitely isn't doing that. 
And then yeah. he's got a bunch of these other guys. So it's like Marcus Morris, you know, acts tough, but he's really not that tough, right? Like yeah. once somebody yeah. gets back in his face, he'll back down. You know, Serge Ibaka, I mean, I think he's had a really good career, but at this point he's not He's not going to fill that role in rally. No, he's a, yeah, you know? he's, he's not doing much of anything. Yeah, and Rondo's never been a rally the troops kind of leader, right? Like, he's been a leader. He, he's a he's had a really good career, albeit up and down. But, you know, he's just not that guy to, to sort of inject the culture into this thing. And I think that's what's really lacking. I mean, they don't – you said that about their defense, and that's really what it is. They have a lot of great individual defenders, and – if the Mavericks roster had a one-on-one contest against the Clippers roster, yeah, I, I think we'd be in trouble. But but that's not really yeah. what it is. And I think that's where, and, you know, again, Luke is just making decisions all over the place. Like, just keeps making the right decisions. And it's exactly what you guys said. It's a bunch of wide-open threes. It's a bunch of wide-open shots. So it's not yeah we're shooting 50% and Ty Lu and whoever can talk about well that's going to regress at some point not if they keep being wide open shots yeah like, yeah they've got to figure out a way to get out and cover people and that's where you really wonder what they're going to be able to do and especially with the home crowd just going nuts tomorrow night i, I think that's it could just overwhelm them in that first quarter, and it, and it could get kind of ugly. And and then potentially same thing on Sunday night when if the Mavericks win tomorrow night and the Clippers just sort of decide to walk through Sunday night as zombies and, and just, you know, wrap up their season. And, and how hilarious is it that two games in a row we've had highlights of Luka destroying Pat Beverly and yelling, you're too small. And yeah, <laughs> I believe the first game was you're too effing small. And in this last game, it was you're too small. You can't guard me. Uh, I absolutely love it. It's it's hilarious, and they haven't found. And by the way, Kawhi Leonard, um, Luca is also now the, the mid range game that he's added this year is unguardable. And yeah, there was a true. there was a possession the other day. And by the way, I expect Luca to make these one footed fadeaway mid range shots, and he's making like sixty percent of them. And yeah. Kawhi Leonard had a possession the other day that, that, of course, Kawhi Leonard is one of the best defenders in NBA history. He still is a great defender, and he could not have defended it any better. And, you know, nothing but net from Luka. And uh, he's a special player, and I think everybody else uh, recognized that the Clippers were losing at the end of the year to try to avoid the Lakers and get the Mavericks. And we're Mm -hmm. sure on, you know, whether it would be the Mavericks or whether it would be Portland but they certainly were trying to lose some games at the end of the year because they were fine playing the Mavericks. And I think the Mavericks recognized that. And I think the Mavericks wanted to play the Clippers. And from the beginning of the series, you know, uh, we mentioned Ty Lue's lack of in-game adjustments, but from the beginning of the series, Ty Lue was living in this fantasy world of, of trying to, uh, to, um, you know, massage his fragile team's ego. Whereas Rick Carlisle, who's not only a great X's and O's coach, from the jump set, of course there's pressure. That's right. Everybody has pressure. Yeah. And it's it's Ty Lue's comments have just been in fantasy land where I think that Rick Carlisle has not only made the in-game adjustments, I think he's been pitch perfect off the court. Well, and then, you know, you go back to Kawhi even signing there, and, and I think the lesson for teams, which they probably won't learn, is that you don't let your star be the GM because – 
you go back, and the only reason Paul George is there is because Kawhi demanded it, and then they had to give up the farm. And, you know, they'd be in much better position right now, regardless of the series, if they had uh, SGA still there and their five first-round picks to themselves. It just it wasn't worth it. And, you know, Paul George has actually played – pretty well. Uh, he hasn't played terrible. He played okay game the last game. It's just more so like, you, you know, the. it's almost like they got the memo late that, I, I don't know, I, I'm not, I've never been into the, hey, the AAU, you know, three stars go to one place. I hated the Heat. I hated Golden State. And I hate, you know, Brooklyn now. I, I just don't think that kind of lopsided way of building a team is uh, sustainable. And, you well, know, I, ironically, just one more point, you look at Kevin Durant and similar personality to Kawhi where he's always had somebody else there to be the alpha leader, and he's just kind of done his job. And um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's it, – when you look at the totality of, of their careers, I, I think it has to leave a mark a little bit. Like they weren't the leader of their team, you know? I just want to see if I can summarize what you're saying to go back to the Dallas Cowboys analogy. Instead of Kawhi Leonard being the general manager, you're saying that Steve Ballmer should be the general manager. Uh, no, I think it's uh, – what's his name? Uh, Frank is their GM. But you're – oh, yeah, you're going Jerry Jones to Steve Ballmer, right? That's your analogy? I, I, I Yes. No, I was just more so talking about yeah. entitlement. <laughs> it stopped there. <laughs> no, it's it is a mess of a team. It looks like they just threw some names in a hat and and uh, threw it up in the air, and they they uh, the, their team doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, and you know, I think it proves that their team last year was better. I, I think right now they'd be better off with uh, Lou Williams and uh, Harold, right? Um, I mean, even Williams. though Harold. Even though Harold got a DMP <laughs> the other night for the Lakers, for whatever reason, he was a monster last year in the series. And I believe he he, uh, he tweeted some uh, laughing emojis after the Clippers lost. Really? So uh, I think oh, so. I and, and but I I think he he is still on the Lakers bench. He's not playing, but he's he's cheering and he's supporting his team however he can. Um, Lou Williams, <laughs> the he's he a Clipper. The, He's a clipper at heart for for, for taunting <laughs> while he's on the bench. <laughs> exactly. But if Lou Williams were on this team, he would be getting torched by Luca just just like Pat Beverly and honestly everybody that's thrown at Luca. No, he would. He years. would. But you know, Lou Williams could score. He really could. Mm-hmm. So that's something. Um, Rocket, uh, so, we um really score. <laughs> or play what defense. do we do? We expect to see Kawhi Leonard come out again. I mean, because it was very clear that. They put everything on the table in the first half on Tuesday night, and so did the, the, the Mavericks punched right back. But uh, Kawhi could not have done I – mean, he had 30 points in the first half. Um, do we expect to see that again, or do, or do we expect to I see think, the Mavericks just come out of the gate strong and the, and the Clippers be flat, which I, I, you know, I, I think, think that might be more likely. My prediction is Rondo starts. That's going to be their big adjustment, is Rondo's going to start. They're going to bench Pat Beverly – and they're going to bank on Rondo sort of creating a, like, rhythm for their offense. And I think uh, it's going to be typical. It'll be a close first quarter. And then, yeah, like I said earlier, Mavs will lead by 10 at halftime because, uh, you know, there's only so much they could do. They, they just I'm, don't have a lot of bullets in their uh, in the in the gun. I'm so cheering for an eight-second call against Rondo. 
Well, that won't happen because he's a genius. He's a savant. Oh, playoff Rondo, playoff Rondo. Yeah, yeah, I've got an experience with playoff Rondo that wasn't exactly like his years in Boston or last year with the Lakers. That's true. Yeah, it took a hiatus for like a decade. Yeah, we said goodbye to Jay Crowder, but hey, we got my, my you know, my guy Dwight Powell out of that too. We did, similar to the uh, Dennis Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr. trade, right? <laughs> calling that the Tim Hardaway Jr. trade now yeah yeah, the THJ trade um, we well, can turn I mean, to KP yeah we, we haven't to... talked much about KP I did think he had a much better game uh, very efficient right wasn't he like 6 of 12 or 6 of 10 I'm looking at it now I do my research He's he was 8 of 12 8 of 12 that's not bad that's by the 12, way right. 8 of 12 was the advice that Reddit gave to Tim Hardaway Jr. a few weeks ago when Tim Hardaway Jr. had a few rough games. He just uh-huh. said, just make 8 of 12. You're not going to make them all, but you're a scorer. You're going to hit 12. You're going to take 12 shots, 8 of 12. And then since then, Tim Hardaway Jr. has been on the tear. So even though he's not playing right now because he's hurt, I'm a fanboy. J.J. Reddick has been there for the team. I, I have to say, I'm not a Duke guy, but I, I, I like Reddick as sort of the wise man on the bench because he has been around the block with a lot of teams. And just to to kind of share that wisdom, we really don't have that on the team. It was J.J. before we cut him, J.J. Yeah. Barea. Now we replaced him with another J.J. But, uh, <laughs> he did a veteran leader named J.J. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, I'm not going to – I don't want to advertise another pod, but it's no secret that J.J. Redick has his own podcast. But he actually mentioned that Carlisle calls him Reddick. He's like, Reddick? Uh-huh. Why, why do they call me Reddick? I've always been JJ. And the reason is because there's only one JJ in Dallas, is what he said. Wow. Wow. I love it. <laughs> uh, but he, uh, you know, I, I'm glad we brought him in. I, under, I understand it's a rental. He's going to go back to the East Coast next year. But he's the perfect kind of player that can, can, uh, uh, can help this young roster uh, because he's, um, I think this is his 14th year. No, I think it's his 15th year. He's made he made the playoffs 14 times, wow. including multiple runs to the conference finals and an NBA finals when he was with Orlando. He's been through it. Yeah, that's right. So he was with Orlando and the Clippers, I think, the longest. But didn't he also play in Milwaukee for a year? He did. Uh, he was traded to Milwaukee, so he played uh, part of a year with Milwaukee, signed as an unrestricted free agent for the Clippers, then went to um, uh, the 76ers. And, pictures. That's the one I forgot. Yeah, and, yeah, and he 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 started for the Clippers. He started for the Seventy Sixers, and then he went to the Pelicans. And uh, so, yeah. Is there yeah. anything else you would like to know about JJ Redick or other Duke players? <laughs> no, I'm I am yeah. a fan though. I I do like him, and I think he's a good fit for this team. And I think I what I like too is if for for someone like KP that may be disgruntled, or even Luca that's just kind of on a high can be really grounding for them and just tell them how much worse it could be with other organizations. Even though KP got a taste of that with the Knicks, um, you know, I, I've said it before, but I think, I think uh, KP's really struggled just being a number two. He, he's had the ball probably the majority of the time his whole career. And after that last game, I, I felt like something might have clicked for him where he's just He's just enjoying it a little more because he has just seemed miserable on the court. Um, I, I, Al, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, 
I said after game one, I was a little bit worried about his body language. and He was talking about getting his shots after the game. In game two, I, there was a big three that Tim Hardaway Jr. hit uh, in the fourth quarter. And he was and KP was the first guy that ran up and hugged him and high-fived yeah. him after the play. He was engaged. He uh, he had a great dive cut where they doubled Luca, uh, you know, 40 feet from the basket, and Luca found Tim Hardaway Jr. basically in the high post. And as soon as the ball went to Hardaway Jr. in the high post, KP was in the corner, very much like the end of game one, and just went right to the basket, and it was a, a dunk shot. And yep. um, absolutely loved it. And uh, he had several dunks last game. He wasn't trying to, um, you know, force it. The, he wasn't trying to force the thirty footers. Uh, I will say he made a couple threes and got two of the best bounces you'll ever see. He had well, a I'll tell you what. three that rolled around, and then another three that went ten feet in the air and dropped yeah. back in. When that when that second three went in, that that little you said I was about to say ten feet in the air and back in. I should have just shut the game off right then because I knew I was like, you don't hit shots like that and lose the game. <laughs> it's just like yeah. that's your <laughs> night when you're getting those bounces. It's like done. <laughs> so, I will say though, I would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive on the boards because the dude's seven foot three and he had four or five players in the Mavericks out rebounding. And I agree. He's just got to be more aggressive, and uh, I don't think it's an Oklahoma City thing where there, where uh, you know, there's players that are allowing Russell Westbrook to to pad his stats. Not yeah. that that ever happened, but he needs to get in there and take advantage of his height. Uh, you know, four rebounds in 32 minutes is is not the best. No, I agree, but I think um, I have to say, like this, this is probably. One, if not the best, one of the best grooves he's been in, in terms of just like, I know it's only been two games, but non-injury chemistry kind of like, I don't know. He He's just never had enough playing time this year to really find his groove. So I, I think like, and Luca's been so good. I wonder if there's a part of him that's just kind of given up and just been like, you know what? This guy's like, this guy's so special. Like I got to quit bitching. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, it, I need to just enjoy well, but this I, ride. I, I you know? also think there's still an opportunity, and I think it could happen in one of these next two home games. For because he's had a few games like this this season where he came out and had 12 and seven in the first quarter, you know, and and ended up having a really big game, both you know points and rebound wise, you know, and that's what if you're a Clippers fan, that's what's kind of scary is that. You know, last game you had Tim Hardaway kind of go off in the second half, and there's still the potential for Porzingis to just come out and just start bombing threes. And and then what do you do? You know, it still goes back to this. Like, I know the Mavericks have played well, but at the same time I'm still like, oh, there's still more we could do. So I, I don't – that's where I really think um, – the Clippers have to be not feeling great is whatever they throw at the Mavericks this next game. We've got a seven foot three guy who can get a shot off at any time. And if he just steps out and starts hitting threes, like you're, I mean, what do you do there? Cause you still got Luca to deal with. And, and I mean, that's, that's pretty much, I feel like one more loss. And so now the Clippers have to figure out a way like, to, to, win four in a row or yeah you know they're already yeah. in position that they got to win four out of five but i don't know i still think that big kp game is out there and i think it could happen in one of the next two games and 
you know, that's, that's going to be another L for the Clippers if it has. No, I, I agree. I think it's it's likely coming, and I, I was more so commenting on just there was there was just some subtlety to KP's mindset that he's been carrying that's just been lingering, where he's just I don't know if he's just been you just get this vibe that he's just not happy, and I feel maybe because it's playoffs in his first real taste of healthy playoffs, and um, I don't know. Maybe something clicked with him where he's just decided to enjoy it because I agree with you. I, I think the likely scenario is this next game he really, like, uh, steps up because usually it starts in the first quarter and it just, you know, keeps going from there. So we're going to see it pretty quick. So I, just, that's this game. I, I just pulled up his splits. After the All-Star break, he is shooting 48.2% from the field, 40. 40.2% percent from the three-point line and 87% from the free throw line. That's KP? That's KP. But and how many very games? Very close. Of, thir- of 36 games. games. Yeah. So, so he's played he's two-thirds of the game. Yeah. yeah. The games that he's played, he's playing 32 minutes a game. He's shooting the ball well. Um, and What's I might have been too hard on him after game one, but he looked much more engaged in yeah. game two. And but what, what I want to see him do, and he's done this a lot this year, is – the eight to fifteen foot or eighteen, you know, whatever, eight to twelve foot. Just get him the ball. He can turn yeah. and face up, and you can just stare down the guy and shoot that little soft that bank shot. I, I love the high post. Yeah, I he does that. not have to jump. He doesn't have to do the 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 Dirk or the Luca one foot fadeaway. He can, and he's got a beautiful shot. He and really it, does. It really is. That's that's where he needs to make his living, and also with putbacks and a little bit of a uh, um you know rim running um but if if he's open for a three and it's in the flow of the offense I'm all for it but what I don't like is when uh, when the ball's just rotated around and instead of rotating around he just shoots shoots the 30 footer cuz he hasn't shot in a while that bothers yeah. me but like I'm telling you what I thought KP played great on uh, Tuesday night yeah I agree I I think uh it just spells more bad news for the clippers <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think it does. Yeah, and you so, know, it's uh, funny bringing up all those stats. I, I always think about KP is more athletic than Dirk was, don't you think? Like, there's no reason like he couldn't be better. I mean, I know that's blasphemous, but just looking at pure potential, it's like, why isn't he better? You know, why isn't he more dominant? I can't figure that out. Well, yeah, and it kind of goes back to my thing. The guy's seven foot three, and he's never averaged ten rebounds a game. How's that happen? <laughs> I don't know. And uh, 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 yeah, but he's he's not dirt, but he is more he's athletic. Not. And yeah, uh, you know, Dirk's seven feet tall, and you know, once once he passed thirty years old, he stopped dunking, and it was a celebration when he dunked. <laughs> Yeah, it really and, was. Yeah, and uh, uh, oh man, but yeah, we could all talk about Dirk for for hours. We could, we could, but we won't. By the way, great picture the other night uh, with Luca and Dirk. Oh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna make a T-shirt of that. That's amazing. Yeah, it really was. Okay, we're running a little late on the pod here, so let's uh, let's do parting shots uh, for our game three predictions. Uh, I think the Mavs come out on fire. I think huge first quarter. I think they get a big lead. Clippers will get back into it. 
But I think in the end, I mean, we've got the closer. So, I mean, the Mavericks are going to win. Yeah, I'm going to, again, to stick to my hot take that this is going to be one of the most memorable games in uh, Dallas Mavericks and DFW history. And uh, it's going to be really emotional. It's going to be amazing just to see that crowd there and uh, the Mavs win. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the same thing. Mavs 121, Clippers 84. And that's not even gonna be the Mavs' biggest win <laughs> wow. over the Clippers this year. Oh my goodness, I love it. I love it. Okay, so uh, the next game is Sunday, so we'll probably uh, record again Saturday night. Uh, until next time, I'm Al, and you guys are Matt and Jay. And uh, we'll see you at episode 44. Mm-hmm.